Well, friends, today we continue in the narrative lectionary, where throughout this fall, we are going to be hearing big stories from the Hebrew scriptures. Last week, we began in Genesis with the first story of creation about God uh, creating the world, calling it good, and inviting us to be co-creators with God, uh, to take care of the world and creation around us and work for its flourishing. Well, a lot has happened between that story and the story that we're gonna hear today from Genesis 21 and 22. Uh, what we've skipped is the second story of creation about Adam and Eve and their subsequent temptation and expulsion from the Garden of Eden. We have skipped the violence that ensued between their children and descendants uh, that God eventually grew tired of and did a reset uh, with the story of Noah and the flood. And after that, Noah gave uh, God's people a sign of the rainbow and said, never again will I destroy the earth. We're going to relate in a new way. Things went awry again in the Tower of Babel. That all happens in Genesis 1 through 11. And so by the time we get to Genesis 12, God decides to relate to humanity in a new way. And we hear then, starting in Genesis 12, the story of God relating to one particular person, Abraham who, as we know, is the ancestor for Christians, Jews, and Muslims. And so God came to this person, Abraham, and made a covenant with him and called him to leave his homeland. And God promised that God would give Abraham land and descendants that would outnumber the stars and that through his people, uh, his people would be a blessing to the world. Well, these promises, as we know, were a long time coming, particularly uh, the promise for a child, which is what we're going to hear about today. Abraham and Sarah were promised a son, but it was taking a while, so Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands, and Abraham had a son, Ishmael, with uh, Sarah's slave, Hagar. That was a difficult story in Genesis also because eventually Hagar and Ishmael are um, exiled. They are sent out into the wilderness where fortunately God uh, provides for them. In the meantime, the story that we're going to hear today is the story of the birth of Isaac and the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, this is a really difficult story. It's... Um, an ugly story uh, on the surface, and actually even as you dig down, it's still pretty ugly. And um, I can say that in at least my 11 years here, I don't think we've ever read this story. It's usually one that I skip uh, because it is uh, such an affront to our sensibilities. And so I would just invite us today to listen with openness, with curiosity, and with a prayer that the Spirit might uh, use it to teach us uh, something new. So, to the extent that we can, uh, let us listen for the Word of God. Good morning. Our reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, and chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. God dealt with Sarah as God had said, and God did for Sarah as God had promised. Sarah conceived 
and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at a time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. After these things, God tested Abraham. God said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. God said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Oh, gracious God, as we listen and wrestle with this difficult text today, be with us, 
Help us to hear a word of life, a word of hope for our lives today. We pray this in your name, O Christ. Amen. So let me just tell you that I do not like this story. There's a reason we haven't read it in 10 years at the church, probably because every time it's come up, I've just skipped over it. This is not something that you want to really engage if you can avoid it, or at least I haven't been willing to do that. And so uh, when it came up in the narrative lectionary, I was like, oh man, I do not want to deal with this. And honestly, I'm still kind of feeling that way uh, right now. Because this story is really an affront to most of the things that we value. And it raises huge questions, like what kind of God would demand or even threaten to demand the sacrifice of a child? And what kind of father would do that to their own son? And why would we want to claim this God or this ancestor of faith as our own? And so uh, these questions are still alive in the text, and yet for whatever reason, this story has stood the test of time. And one thing that I learned this week is that this story is actually read every year on Rosh Hashanah for our Jewish siblings. In the same way that we read uh, the story of the birth of Christ, every year they, on Christmas, every year they wrestle with this story of Abraham and Isaac as they begin their new year. That something about this story uh, invites them to think about how they're called to live. One of the gifts of Judaism, and one of the things I so appreciate about that faith, is a willingness to, to wrestle with a text, and to ask questions, and to argue back. And so um, today I'm just going to invite us to look at this text, and to wrestle a little bit with it, and to ask some questions of it. Now, uh, when I think about, <laughs> well, let me start here. When, when we think about how this story is often interpreted, there, there are two kind of common streams. There's actually hundreds of ways to interpret the story, but two kind of main groups that I, that I see at least. One is that this is a story of absolute devotion that this is a story that's about Abraham's faithfulness and God uh, wanting uh, to put Abraham to a test and that test is to see how faithful Abraham really is and if he's willing to go all the way and sacrifice the, the thing that is most important to him, his child, who is the heir of these promises for descendants. And uh, one interpretation of the story is, yes, that is what happens in this. Abraham does it. He goes all the way to the point that his son is bound and the knife is raised. And he's honored and celebrated as being so faithful. There's a time in my life when this probably would have been the interpretation that I would have gone with. Probably a little bit more in my evangelical days, right? That there's nothing that comes before our relationship with God. No, no spouse, no children, that we are to be utterly, singularly devoted to God. There's some beauty in this idea, in some ways, in the sense that um, 
faith requires of us some sort of sacrifice. And a, and a faith where we don't have any skin in the game doesn't really feel like faith. But there's also huge problems with this as well, because it can become a, a blind faith. And it calls into question just who, who God is, right? If God is the God of life and God is the God of flourishing, the God that we've seen already in, in Genesis, who, who creates the world and calls it good and who keeps trying to get into these new covenants with humanity to help them find their way, then why would the same God of life, the God who brought Isaac into the world, then want to take his life away? And so there's another whole strain of thinking around this text that is different. It's the opposite. It actually is that this is a polemic against child sacrifice, against death, that uh, human sacrifice was common in other ancient Near East cultures, but this is the way that Yahweh's faith is different. Um, that this is a God who doesn't want that kind of violence, who doesn't uh, want child sacrifice, and who doesn't want a, a faith or a devotion that uh, hurts others and harms others. And uh, in that way, I can get on board maybe a little bit more with this interpretation where um, the, God's will is really to live and to serve God rather than to die and to serve God. And so, really, this, is, this text raises questions, not just about how to interpret it, but how do we understand God? And where do we find ourselves in this text? One of the things we don't know is any insight into what Abraham is thinking. The way the story goes, it is, it's very automatic. Um, I like to think that he was torn in some ways, this idea of whether to appease this God or to care for this son that he has been waiting for. And yet as the story goes, he, he just hears the voice and doesn't question it. I mean, other parts of scripture, he pushes back or he says no, or he asks God, are you sure? Uh, isn't there another way? But there's no moment like that, no moment like Garden of Gethsemane saying, take this cup from me. Instead, it says he hears the voice and then he gets up the next morning early, probably to avoid uh, telling his wife what's going on. And he gets his two servants and his son and he begins his three-day journey. And uh, it's as if he's, he's blinded by his own faith. He doesn't see that humanity of his own Son. Never mind that he already lost his son Ishmael to the wilderness and now is poised to lose Isaac. Instead, it's like he's on autopilot. The, the narrative sparse, he just goes until eventually he leaves the donkey, puts the wood on his son, goes up, and then it slows down as he builds the altar and he binds his son to the altar and he uh, makes, uh, picks up the knife. And it's as if he has forgotten that humanity of the, the child in front of him, blinded to his own son and, and to the flesh and blood before him as he stands there ready to impale his own child. 
And so the question is, is this what it means to follow God? Is this what it means to choose one's convictions over the humanity in front of you? In this way, the, the story's all around us right now. It's happening with every family whose religious convictions uh, wants them to um, disown a gay or lesbian or transgender child. It's happening in those Texas laws that where one interpretation of faith is being used to legislate millions of bodies of women, not recognize the humanity in front of them. It's in all the areas where there are partisan certainties on both sides that move us away from empathy and into self-righteousness. It's in a story close to home here in Newburgh this week, high school, where a group of students created a, a chat room called Slave Trade and posted pictures and prices of their black classmates. In this way, we all at times are blinded by our ideologies, our certainties, that prevents us from seeing the humanity in front of us, failing to see the vulnerability around us, and these ideologies that choose death rather than life. It's not just folks out there, it's in here, it's in me. And I think about this when I ran into a neighbor last week who got onto his anti-vax uh, comment and his infringement on his rights. And boy, I hold up right into my walls of certainty and did not want to see humanity in him. Or I think about it sometimes in my ideologies or certainties around work, that if I just do one more thing or read one more commentary, that that will make me better and I miss the person in need right in front of me. Or my own child asking me to play or my own needs of self. Or I'm blinded by the biases that have been ingrained in me as certainties. Biases like uh, I need to beware if a black man comes walking toward me, right? And I don't see his humanity. Or the idea that if poor people just worked harder, things would get better for them. And I don't see the humanity and the, the structural things going on around them. In this way, we can end up sacrificing people, lives, others, because of what we hold to be truth or what we hold to be um, certainty or what we hold to be our ideology or our faith. And I think this flies in the face of the God of life of the God of flourishing, the God of creation, the God who wants all creation to have a, a abundant life. And this kind of certainty chooses that death over life. What's difficult in this story also is that it has profound implications. You know, we hear the climax of the story as a great sigh of relief that the angel shows up and intervenes and the ram is provided as a sacrifice. But that's not the end of the story. What we know after scripture is that after the story, Abraham and Isaac, they never speak to each other again in scripture. What we know is that Abraham and Sarah are never 
together again after this. Sarah dies in the very next chapter. God never speaks to Abraham directly again after this incident. And so something in this moment has been broken. Something in this trauma has changed the nature of relationships and connectedness that will affect the generations to come. That's what trauma does. And so it also invites us really to think about how we're called to live and how can we be people who choose life. There's a line in Deuteronomy that says, every day is set before us the ways of life and death, so choose life. And so maybe what this text is inviting us into, maybe why it's read on Rosh Hashanah each year, is that it invites us into a reorientation of how we're being called to live. Perhaps moving away from our certainties or our absolutisms. And that's not to say that we don't have valuable or values or principles, but rather that compassion and humanity and mercy and life are, are at the forefront. Maybe God can shake us loose of our certainties of who we are, who we think we should be, in order that we can become more of the people God longs for us to be. So I'm going to close with a poem. Um, this is by Israeli poet Yehuda Amakai. It's called The Place Where We Are Right. And here's what he says. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, like a plow. And a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. Friends, may we err on the side of loves and of doubts that dig up the world that move us toward compassion. And may this story and this ancient story challenge us, move us, invite us to question our certainties, to discern God's spirit, and to remember that we serve a God of life. Amen.